My name is Teresa Sandak. I'm a Servite sister and a member of the Tuesdays with Merton Planning Committee, along with Alan Colt and Dan Horan. Alan will be our presenter today, and Dan will serve as moderator. Dan is a Franciscan friar and director of the Center for Spirituality at St. Mary's College in Notre Dame, Indiana, which together with the International Thomas Merton Society, co-sponsors Tuesdays with Merton. And now a few words about our presenter. Dr. Ellen Culp is faculty in residence and Baldwin Wallace University Chair in Faith and Life Emeritus. His teaching focus is spirituality. He is a Quaker and a Benedictine Oblate. His new book, Better Humans, Better Performance, Driving Leadership, Teamwork, and Culture with Intentionality, can be pre-ordered on Amazon and will be out next month. Alan does consulting work on high performance in the business and athletic worlds and also leads spiritual retreats. He currently serves on the board of directors of the International Thomas Merton Society. Here now is Dr. Alan Culp speaking on Partners in the General Dance of the Spirit, Thomas Merton and Ilya Delio Evolving into the Grandeur of God. Alan. Thank you, Teresa. And uh, I'd like to begin by just saying a word about a word of appreciation to Teresa and Dan. We've been the committee that's worked on this stuff for now, what well, going on three years. And it's been fun to be with this duo who have vision for discipline and, and uh, fun. So thanks to Teresa and Dan. We traditionally begin these Tuesdays with Merton with a prayer. As a Quaker, we, we're inclined to use silence. So I would ask all of you just to join me in a quick moment of silence before we launch in. Thank you. Quaker meetings for worship are not always good for TV or radio because of the silence, but uh, those of us who do it together find it quite meaningful. And those who know anything about Quakerism must, uh, must know that it's a real hoot for me as a Quaker to be doing something themed on dance. Partners in the general dance of the spirit, Thomas Merton and Ilya Delio, evolving into the grandeur of God. Quakers haven't been known as real strong in the fine arts and and yet that theme of dance intrigues me. I've been doing some things with Merton for a while and Ilya Delio um, in the past few years. Both are monastics, both are seekers, and both are boundary busters. And that really intrigues me. I'm intrigued by this image, which I want to use tonight, of dance. <clears throat> And we'll start in a moment with uh, great words that are in at the ending of New Seeds of Contemplation, probably my favorite book from Merton. But I have a sense that, that both of them would extend an invitation to dance, not to disappointment or destruction. And those of us certainly in this country are aware today is election day. Um, there's a fair amount of disappointment people are we're thinking about and enough destruction worldwide to wonder if there's an alternative. And I think both Merton and Delio offer that. The words of Gerard Manley Hopkins says, the world is charged with the grandeur of God, the brilliance, the majesty, and I'm intrigued by that image. So what I'm trying to do this evening is with Delio still very much alive and well, she and I had lunch together in DC a couple of weeks ago. And Merton now, 60 some years since his life ended, is to, is to hook those two up in a dance. And in some ways, there's a lot of resonance between the two. And other ways, obviously, Delio with both a doctorate in science and one in theology is, is working in, in a world that Merton didn't know. So I'd like to see her in some ways as the lead of the dancing team and to pull him on into the 20th century. The ITMS, the Merton Society, 
we're, we really have no interest in being managers of a musty Merton. So the question is, as we get farther and farther away from his, his life, how can we continue to make his words come, come to life? And I think Delia will help that. So I've tried to organize tonight in a way that a systematic theologian or a constructive theologian would do. So I'm gonna approach it thematically. I'm not using a PowerPoint, so hopefully you can watch the story get weaved. And if you really are into it, take notes. Science would tell you you better chance of remembering if I were using a PowerPoint anyway. So as I said, I'd like to begin with the theme of dance and to use the well-known words at the very end of New Seeds of Contemplation. I'm sure many of you know these words well. Merton writes, what in God might appear to us as play is perhaps what he himself takes most seriously. At any rate, the Lord plays and diverts himself in the garden of his creation. And if we could let go of our own obsession with what we think is the meaning of it all, we might be able to hear that call and follow him in his mysterious cosmic dance. We don't have to go very far to catch echoes of that game and of that dance. And then to read it to the very end of that book, for the world and time are the dance of the Lord in emptiness. The silence of the spheres is the music of a wedding feast. The more we persist in misunderstanding the phenomena of life, the more we analyze them out into strange finalities and complex purposes of our own. The more we involve ourselves, therefore, in sadness, absurdity, and despair. But it doesn't much matter because no despair of ours can alter the reality of things or stain the joy of the cosmic dance, which is always there. Indeed, we are always in the midst of it, and it's in the midst of us, for it beats in our very blood whether we want it or not. Yet the fact remains that we are invited to forget ourselves on purpose, cast our awful solemnity to the winds, and join in the general dance. I don't think dance is the dominant image in Delio, but she does have some really good one-liners about that. In one of her books, she says, now we must rethink ourselves as disco dancers in a bubblegum universe. You can imagine supplementing Merton's image of dance now with Delio, who's pulling him into the 21st century as a disco dancer in a bubblegum universe. And then she betrays her own training when she says quantum physics has undermined all the great discoveries of matter from Aristotle to Newton, and we're now left with the wondrous reality of wave-particle duality. Delio continues, biological life does not work as a top-down control system but as a bottom-up, top-down interplay of informational flow, more like a dancing, more like dancing a tango than building a house. Quantum edge biology challenges us to rethink how we organize our lives spiritually. We are called not to maintain the existing order, but to engage disorder as it lingers on the edge of new order. This means living with a certain level of anxiety, uncertainty, and darkness, but also with faith, trust, hope, and surrender. I must admit, I find Delio a challenge, but it's one I want to deal with. I like the image now. The disco dancer has become one who is dancing the tango. And I think Merton would get into it. And I wanted to underscore a theme that Delia will introduce and we'll come back to it time and time again. And I think this is part of the challenge 
not only of an ITMS, but probably of churches and institutions all over the world. We are not called to maintain existing order, she says, but to engage disorder as it lingers on the edge of new order. And I think that's going to call for some courage that I can only imagine we can muster being together on our own. We probably will fail. I'd like to use this image of dance now and this call to engage disorder and say, in some ways, I think both Merton and Delio are called to be disruptors. And I see dips, I see disruption as the vocation of innovation. And I've written a fair amount on innovation. And I think that's really, that's really the way we get to the new order is we see ourselves as called to disruption too. And we, we, ally, we ally ourselves as people called to be innovators, to share the vocation of innovation. Core to Delio, obviously much less so for Merton, is the theme of evolution. And so evolution is really the given for her. And I wanna say, if he were living today, I think it would be for him as well. I'm not quite sure how you do theology apart from that as a starting point. So a couple of quotations first from, from Delio, just to underscore this. She tells us God is not so much the beginning of evolution as its direction. And what I think that does is it pulls God from behind us and puts God out in front of us. God becomes lure. God pulls rather than pushes. And we'll know God, she says, where there is energy, where there is energy of attraction, union, generativity, and life, there is God. So we look for God as an as a, as a entity we find in a place of energy. And I think, I think Merton can share this. He just doesn't say it, obviously, as sharply. But in one of his books, he says, Anyone who's read the prophets in the New Testament with any attention recognizes that one of the most essential facts regarding Christianity is that being a religion of love, it is also, and at the same time, a religion of dynamic change. And that's the theme I want to continue to underscore. Finally, Delio says, the quantum world is a continuous dance of energy in which relationships form reality. I like that image of dance of energy again, and I want to underscore that this dance of energy is always in the process of forming relationships, and relationships are key to her theology, and I think in some ways core to what Merton is doing as well. And I just remind you, Merton says, you know, no despair of ours can alter the reality of things or stain the joy of the cosmic dance. That's is probably good news. Having dealt now with evolution, I'd like to turn to the second major point, continuing the image of dance, and talk about God. I love this line from Merton when he says, our idea of God tells us more about ourselves than about God. And so I think both Merton and Delio, as boundary busters, are willing to give up on old ideas of God and be open to the dancing energy of the new ideas. This is no more clear in Merton than the wonderful poem Hagia Sophia, which he writes uh, in the 60s. <coughs> Merton says, there is in all things an invisible fecundity a dimmed light, a meek namelessness, a hidden wholeness. This mysterious unity and integrity is wisdom, the mother of all. This is at once my own being, my own nature, and the gift of my creator's thought and art within me. Speaking is Hagia Sophia speaking as my sister, wisdom. 
And then he goes on to talk a bit later in that poem about God being both father and mother. And then he says, the diffuse shining of God is Hagia Sophia. He really links her to eminence, to the withinness. We call Sophia his glory. In Sophia, his power is experienced only as mercy and as love. <clears throat> I love what Chris Premuck does in his book, Sophia, which at least one writer says is the, is the best, book, book, best book ever written on Merton, which should give all of us who think about writing on Merton a pause to, to wonder, you know, why, why now? Why, why anything after Chris? But he calls, he calls Sophia the theological eros animating Merton's religious imagination. And I think that same the theological eros or theological love animates Delio and Kenos as well. This is how she talks about God. The name God points to the mystery of an unspeakable source of eternal love that flows endlessly from the divine creative heart into the mouth of creation. An eternal kiss that is at once a deep, intimate presence and an erotic attraction toward ultimate fulfillment and transcendence. <clears throat> Again, we come to the theme of disruption. She says, the livingness of God disrupts and disfigures every stabilizing structure, thereby keeping the whole playful thing in movement. When I'm with her and when I read her, I have to take a deep breath and say, okay, here we go. It's going to be working almost topsy-turvy from the way we're used to. Our inclination is to conserve and her inclination is to transform. She puts herself and Merton together when she says, I didn't realize in, I didn't realize in 1984 that the call of God was a response to the call of my deepest self. The call of God was a response to the call of my deepest self. God was not outside nor above me, but God was and is the breadth and depth of my life. The search for God is the search for one's own identity, as Merton so eloquently wrote. And she's referencing <laughs> some passages, a few pages in New Seeds of Contemplation, where Merton in New Seeds of Contemplation, which she was referring to, says, our vocation is not simply to be, but to work to work together with God in the creation of our own life, our own identity and our own destiny. I like that we're to work together with God, creating our own life, our own identity, and our own destiny. And remember, God says more about destiny than beginning. Merton says, to put it even better, we are even called to share with God the work of creating the truth of our identity. <clears throat> now that we're talking about ourselves, let's do the next piece on humanity. So we've done evolution, which led to God, which leads to us. We start again in New Seeds of Contemplation. Merton says, if I am true to the concept that God utters in me, if I am true to the thought of him I was meant to embody, I shall be full of his actuality and find him everywhere in myself. This true inner self must be drawn up like a jewel from the bottom of the sea. Rescued from confusion, from indistinction, from immersion in, co in the common, 
the nondescript, the trivial, the sordid, the effervescent. And then Merton says to me reassuringly, for every other person is a piece of myself, for I'm a part and a member of humankind. Each one of us remains responsible for our own share of life in the whole body. But charity cannot be what it is supposed to be as long as I don't see that my life represents my own allotment in the life of a whole supernatural organism to which I belong. And I think Delio would resonate with that very much, that we all are a part of a whole supernatural organization, organism. Delio puts it more scientifically when she says, we are fundamentally energy-turned-matter. So there you go. If you were wondering what you really are, your energy turned to matter. She continues, a unified world is not possible without a radically new understanding of the human person. And that's what I think is at stake for the church and ITMS as we go forward into this century is coming to have a radically new understanding of the human person. Interestingly, she says there's no ending of life in God, only beginning. Thus, life will always be more than what we can imagine, even in eternity. I love that. Life can be more than we imagine. I'd like to turn now to what is core to the Christian tradition, namely the incarnation. I think Merton here is much more traditional, although I say that with some pause because the work that Chris Premuk did with Sophia shows that Merton rethought that in some pretty creative ways, particularly in the 60s. But this is what Merton says about the incarnation, about the fact that God became human. This is from New Seeds. The Lord made the world and made man in order that he himself might descend into the world, that he himself might become human. When God regarded the world that he was about to make, he saw his wisdom as a man-child, playing in the world, playing before him at all time. An obvious reference to Proverbs chapter 8. And God reflected, my delights are to be with the children of men. I'm sure Merton would ditch the sexist language if he were writing today. <laughs> but Merton continues and gives us a nice image when he says, the world was not made as a prison for fallen spirits who were rejected by God. The world was made as a temple, a paradise into which God himself would descend to dwell familiarly with the spirits God had placed there to tend it for himself. Delio is, is even more bold, although I think she'd love the image of the world as a temple and as a paradise. And again, as I use those images and go back to the main image of dance, I really do think it's more appropriate to learn how to dance in the temple and to dance in paradise than it is to be disappointed or even destroy either. And we all are aware of that we're participating in a world where disappointment, destruction are all too prevalent. And we really need to learn to be dancers, dancers in the spirit, dancers with that energy. <clears throat> Delio comes clean straight away when she says the whole cosmos is incarnational. The whole cosmos is incarnational. Jesus and even more. 
I had just added that to her. She says, Christ is organically immersed with all of creation in the heart of the matter, thus unifying the world. I think, I think Merton is an incarnational theologian. Delio certainly is an incarnational theologian, and I will admit that I find that attractive. Delio again says, if incarnation is what the universe is all about, then evolution is an unfolding theophany, an unveiling of divinity and creation. Evolution is Trinity unfolding space-time. We'd probably have to have another night to do that one. Evolution is Trinity unfolding space-time. Love overflows into space-time word, energized by the spirit of new creation. I don't know about you, but I really am attracted to this image of an unfolding theophany, an unfolding of the manifestation of God. And maybe that's how the world continues to evolve into a temple and a paradise, which we can call the new creation, heaven on earth, or many other things. This is how Merton puts it. The word of God himself was the firstborn of every creature. He in whom all things consist was not only to walk with humans in the breeze afternoon, but would also become man and dwell with man as a brother. The Lord would not only love his creation as a father, but he would enter into that creation emptying himself, hiding himself as if he were not God, but a creature. Why should he do this? Because he loved his creatures, and because he could not bear that his creatures should merely adore him as distant, remote, transcendent, and all-powerful. Remember, the whole cosmos is incarnational. That not only implicates you and me, but we are brought into that, and we're brought in to dance, not to disappoint, nor to destroy. I like very much how Delio puts it. Jesus ushered in a new consciousness of divine presence, a new heart and mind, a new creativity that was both present and future-oriented. I'm drawn to that idea that Jesus ushers in a new consciousness. I think that resonates well in the interfaith work that Merton was doing and that Delio does. A new consciousness. In my work in the business world or with athletes, I often talk about that as a, as a new mindset, a new way of looking at the world, which allows and calls for a new way of participating in the world. And when we think about the world that we live in now, there are so many people, myself too often, living unconsciously or comatose. Existence, but not vitality. Delio continues talking about the incarnation in Jesus. This is, this is really core to what she's doing. Because the whole cosmos is incarnational, remember. Maybe my favorite line of the night, Jesus is a new big bang in evolution. 
So you got the original Bing Bang, Big Bang, and then she says Jesus is a new Big Bang. I love that way of doing Christology, you know. That was not how I was taught in seminary. Nobody called Jesus the Big Bang. To quote her, Jesus is the new Big Bang in evolution, an explosion of love that ignites a new way of thinking about God, creation, and the future. And that's what I think we're all called to do. And insofar as any of us have faith, we are theologians. We are called to reflect on our faith, to think about God, to think about creation, and to think about the future. This is why I'm doing Merton and Delio for myself and sharing it with you, because they help us think in these new ways to begin to understand and appreciate that Jesus is a big bang. And you know what? You can be a big banger too, and so can I. And we should too pray to be ignited because that's what Jesus says the big bang does, this explosion of love. It ignites. And you can think in these cosmological terms that Delio's thinking about. She's thinking cosmologically to talk about Christology, the world to think about Jesus, that includes us and implicates where we're going. Merton's not quite as graphic in his language, but I think he talks about this new consciousness in terms of awareness. Merton says the presence of God in his world as its creator depends on no one but God. His presence in the world as human depends in some measure upon people. Not that we can do anything to change the mystery of the incarnation in itself, but we are able to decide whether we ourselves and that portion of the world that is ours shall become aware of his presence, consecrated by it, and transfigured in its light. <clears throat> I think Merton here is doing a similar thing to what Delio just did. He tells us, Oh, we can't do anything to change the incarnation. That's probably a good thing, quite frankly. What we can do, however, we can decide whether we want to become aware of God's presence. And having become aware of it, consecrated by it, and then transfigured by it. That, if we put it theologically, I think that's the Christological call. This vocation of disruption, which starts in a new awareness, is consecrated and then transfigured into a new way of living, a new pattern of living. So we've done evolution, which led to God, which led to humanity, which led to incarnation. <clears throat> Really, it's a theological circle. We could have jumped on anywhere, but we trace ourselves on around. <clears throat> the last piece I want to do before concluding is to talk about community. Because remember, I introduced Merton and Delio as monastics, seekers, and boundary busters. And they're looking for other people to do it with. And community, I think, is at the core of what they're doing, and it's the core of what I'd like to do. Who wants to do it alone? Here's how Delio talks about community in the beginning. She says, the life of Jesus shows us, shows us that to live within the confines of the expected, which seems to provide stability, security, and certainty, is to be dead even when we're alive. To be exposed to the unexpected 
is to be open to the creativity of life and death. I start with that because you'll recall Delio is really dealing with what I would call a theology of relationship, which I think implicates community. We're in it together. That's our destiny because we are part of this organism. And the life of Jesus shows us that if we live within the confines of the expected is to be dead even while alive. And that's why I say the ITMS doesn't want to be a manager of a musty Merton dealing with the expected. We need to find ways to become aware of God's presence, consecrated by it, and transfigured in its light. This is the way Merton puts it in a piece near the end of his life. He's actually talking to a group of nuns. <clears throat> he says, <clears throat> excuse me, he says, certainly what we're doing now is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get together in a quiet place where we can talk and think and pray, rather like what we're doing tonight. Merton continues, an important key word is presence. We want to be present to each other and then trust what happens. Presence is what counts, he says. It's important to realize that the church itself is presence. And so is the contemplative life. Community is presence, not an institution. And then this age of destruction, era of disappointment, it really is nice to know that presence is possible. Absence doesn't have to be given. It wouldn't take too much creativity, you could do it as well as I do, to take this idea of presence on into the sacramental life of the church and beyond. We don't have time to do that, and you probably shouldn't trust a Quaker to do sacraments, but uh, I can see where it could go. <clears throat> More about create creativity and, and what I'm going to call our vocation of being disruptors. Couple from Delio, I love how she puts it. She says, stability lies in change, not in remaining the same. Change doesn't have to be destabilizing. Interesting idea that we would have to take more time and think about. So she says, stability lies in change, not in remaining the same. She concludes, I have come to realize that the road to God does not lie in stability, but in creativity. Put on those dancing shoes. She underscores what she just said when she she's reflecting on her life. <clears throat> um, she's not on her first monastery in her current situation, let's say. She says, every time I thought I had arrived at my destination, God showed up in novel ways and I was impelled to get up and follow. Follow this mysterious God of breathless love, traveling into new patterns of life. I like this image of her saying, every time I arrived at my destination, I sat down on a chair, I breathe a sigh of relief and think, oh, I've got it. Nope, God shows up in novel ways and I'm impelled to get up and follow him. It reminds you of the call of the disciples, does it not? Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And they left what they were doing and started a new life and a new way of being. 
Last word about community comes from, <laughs> comes from Merton. I like this piece. God was not for me a working hypothesis, he says. I would even say that, like most modern people, I have not been much moved by the concept of getting into heaven after muddling through this present life. On the contrary, my conversion to Catholicism began with the realization of the presence of God in this present life, in the world, and in myself. And that my task as Christian is to live in full and vital awareness of the ground of being and of my world's being. Now, I'd like to swing into a couple concluding thoughts. This from Merton. If you want a conclusive statement from him, he says, Whatever I have written, I think it may be reduced in the end to just one truth, that God calls human persons to union with himself and with one another in Christ, in the church, which is his mystical body. <clears throat> and one more from Search for Solitude. Most important of all, man's creative vocation to prepare consciously the ultimate triumph of the divine wisdom. Man, the microcosm, the heart of the universe is called to bring about the fusion of the cosmic and historic process in the final invocation of God's wisdom and love. In the name of Christ and by his power, man has a work to accomplish. This is good, and this is the last piece for Merton. Our life is a powerful Pentecost in which the spirit ever active in us seeks to reach through our inspired hands and tongues into the very heart of the material world created to be spiritualized through the work of the church, the mystical body of the incarnate word of God. And I would finish with these words from Iliadelio. To reflect on a day of life in the universe is to recognize that death is our greatest reality for, in truth, the end is in the present moment. In this moment, we must make every effort to love. In this moment, the whole universe awaits the final reason for my life, summed up in one question that each one of us must constantly live into. How well did I love this day? For in the evening of life, love alone will determine how we shall live forever. Interesting question. How well did I love this day? How well did I welcome Sophia, the wisdom of God, that theological eros? Merton and Delio both would agree, love moves us. So my plea, my invitation to all of you is to say, in love, let's dance, dance into the grandeur of God. What role does the Holy Spirit play in all this? Yeah, I, I really do. Th I, I liked where Delio started by saying, basically, well, look at Jesus. He was a disruptor. The Romans experienced that. The Jews experienced that. Um, the rich people experienced that. Um, and those of us who call ourselves Christians, I think, in some ways, should expect that 
that we too will share what I call this this vocation of of innovation, if you will, being a disruptor. <clears throat> um, in the in the business community, there's what's known as an S curve. And when somebody gets a new product and it, it does well and it gets towards the top, it starts to go down. Mm -hmm. Either people don't want it anymore or everybody's bought it. And so the really clever people get ready to start disrupting their own product as it gets towards the top of the S curve. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, I think if we could say, well, the Holy Spirit is the energy of the ecclesiastical S-curve, if you will, this <laughs> mystical body called the church. And if we really are aware, conscious of the presence of the Spirit, the, the Spirit will call us to work the Spirit, work with the Spirit. And I love Delio's continual call to say, be careful of stability, be careful of the expected, be careful of the routine, because that's like being at the top of the S-curve, especially if going, things are going well. Um, and it's really easy to get complacent there. And I think people who become complacent aren't really listening to nor even open to the spirit anymore. Because I don't think the spirit is ever complacent. Because Delio, and I think Merton in a way, are, is saying you know, the, the world's evolving. You are. None of us, none of us are the little boy or girl we were, you know, X number of years ago. So that that's how I would go about it. And our responsibility is to be open, to pay attention. And I personally, and I think I think the monastic community would say, you know, most of us do that better when we're together than on our own. We we do it on our own to to supplement, to help. Um but I, I know I'm much better together than I am on my own. On my own, I'm likely to make a mess. I think on this last point about community, um, somebody just at this very moment in light of your response uh, added this question, which I think fits swimmingly. Um, they ask, why do so many people find disruption leading them away from the church? And, you know, recognizing that we come from a, a, a variety of churches, those of us who are gathered here at this Tuesdays with Merton seminar or webinar, um, we could expand that to say institutional religion or institutional belonging. I mean, do you have thoughts about that, Alan? Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, I'm going to be a little snarky maybe and say, well, maybe the problem is with the church and not the individual being led away. Um, <clears throat> I, I really do think, you know, that the, probably the biggest, the biggest role for the, for the church leader, and I've written a fair amount about leadership, not church leadership, is you really do need to be attentive to where the spirit is is calling you, and um, you know some some of it is you know I, I'm not against tradition I like tradition, but tradition is not uh, not unmoving. I mean, anybody who reads you know two thousand years of Christian history knows it's not the same church as it was in the first century. So I, I do think I, I do think the the question is whether enough people who um, are spiritually alive and innovative can manage to somehow reinvent the the church. The church is not an institution; it really is the mystical body. So I'm not I'm not concerned with the church defined that way. And a lot of people, I think Delia included, basically said, "I think I think the church's institution as we know it is probably toast." So um, certainly, if you hang on, that that fear of change, right, is a fear of the spirit. It's a it's a phobia of it's a pneumatological phobia, as it were, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious. You 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 introduced the evening by talking about these two figures, right, Thomas Merton and Ilya Delio, as religious, as seekers, as boundary busters, and this boundary busting um, is is really interesting to me, and and it reminds me of when Pope Francis visited the United States in September of 2015. He famously described Merton as a person who challenged the certitudes of his time. And maybe this follows from that previous question about those leaving institutional churches or institutional religion. Um, here's my question to you as somebody who is um, a, a deep fan of Thomas Merton and of Ilya Delio. In light of, of what you've read and have processed and reflected on of their work and, and what you talk about in terms of boundary busting, what are some of the certitudes of our time that Merton uh, 
you know, through this, through the decades, as it were, and maybe Ilya today are encouraging us to consider busting. Um, I, I think, I think a lot of the stereotypes and prejudices would be one place where I would start. Um, you know, Quakers have what we call testimonies to peace, uh, to things like that, that's comparable to all the other traditions. So I would start with that. Um, I, I do think there are some the theological issues um, as a Quaker because we're what we call non-credo. I mean, I, I didn't grow up saying the Nicene Creed. I wrote a PhD dissertation on Athanasius, so I know the Nicene Creed pretty well. Uh, but does that really articulate the kind of faith of the 21st century person in the ways that Delio is articulating? I don't know, but... Um, that could be an example of a boundary buster. It doesn't mean it's either or on something like the Nicene Creed. We either have it or we we do away with it. But it could be that plus. What 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 what's the what's the cutting edge of the boundary which we're going to bust that then a century later becomes tradition. Mm -hmm. um, so, I that's that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah, that's that seems spot on to me. I noticed that in, in the chat, one of our uh, community members here mentioned, offered a comment, an observation that that Meister Eckhart, that great Dominican uh, mystic, seems to have similar thinking. For example, uh, God is like a great dance forming a great flame. The sparks of this flame engenders all of creation. Each of us is a spark of joining with all the other sparks, all of creation. Cool. Um, and that does seem to align very well. I know. Um, you know that that since it's a comment, I might just add that that Merton certainly was influenced by Meister Eckhart, especially in conjectures of a guilty bystander. And some of that kind of thinking comes through, I know, at, at the fourth and walnut experience. Mm -hmm. But but rather than talking about that kind of mystical experience as, as great as it is, I, I want to ask you, Alan, uh, to shift gears a little bit about maybe some of the influences between these two great thinkers that you've reflected on for us tonight. Both Ilya and Thomas Merton are, are people who have been informed by the, the Carmelite tradition. Um, Ilya was a Carmelite sister before becoming a Franciscan. Merton was informed by both of these traditions. And I'm wondering what you think about um, other parallels between the two of them. Like you, you talked about evolution, God, humanity, creation, and community. Do you see other ways in which maybe we, we know you've shared so well that Merton influenced Delio, but are there kind of shared streams of wisdom that inform them as well that you'd like to highlight? I think if I had more time and, and had done more work, I, I really do think the, the Sophia realm is a, is a really rich one because we know, um, you know, through the great poem Hagia Sophia and then the wonderful book that Chris Premock did, Premock did on Sophia that that Merton, that's a great, that's a great example of his own evolution. Um, if you think about him theologically, <clears throat> I don't, I don't think he changed his mind much on, on how God was transcendent, but how God was imminent in the world. He evolved quite a lot. Sophia being a huge piece of that evolution from the, you know, late, late 1940s to the Merton of the 1960s. And, and there's no doubt that Sophia plays a role for, for Dalio. So I think that would be one arena that, um, that I would look at. Um, I, I think the, the biggest disconnect is this whole science piece that Dalio has that Merton didn't. And he's never going to have that kind of language nor that kind of worldview. He just gets, we get peaks of it. But he's not even reading in that world in, in a really significant way. Um, you know, the two of them share uh, an affection for, for St. Bonaventure, mm -hmm. but she's she's clearly influenced massively by Deschardins, Pierre Day, and Merton, you know, has an acquaintance with him, but it, it's not too much more than that unless I've misread Merton. He's not taken by it nor fascinated by it, and, and that, that really is the dominant influence in, in Delio. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I would just add, just as an aside, 
behind Gerard Manley Hopkins, who you quoted early on, and Teilhard de Chardin, and these two figures is also another Franciscan whose feast day is today, by the way, Blessed John Dunn Scotus. So yes. when it comes to the incarnation, I have to, a little shout out to Scotus there. Yeah. Um, we're getting a lot him. of, what's that? You know a little about him. Just a little bit. Um, but but we've got some comments here about um, other mystics as well. And so Rumi, for instance, and, and we can look to Muslim mystics um, and others who use dance as um, an ecstatic metaphor from all the other religions so that the great boundary busting might be to explore the dance floor of interspirituality. I love that expansion Ooh. of your insight, boundary yeah. busting and expanding the dance floor of interspirituality. Do you have thoughts about that? Yeah, I have thoughts. So we should we should have a, a day or a weekend where this is the theme and we invite all these people to come together. And that would be a rich, a rich weekend. Because there's so much more to add than what I did. And others are much more capable. That's why we need community. That's why I finished with community. Is yeah, I can imagine all coming to St. Mary's. Maybe we'll do an extra day when we're all there for IN, ITMS next summer and we'll we'll do the dance theme. It's and a great day. All those other folks can be drug in. It's a great opportunity. We'll just put in the chat a link for the uh, the conference that that Alan's referring to here. And I want to draw our attention as well to the chat that Sophronia Scott um, uh, is picking up on exactly this theme and, and shares with us a, a poem from Rumi called Quietness about disruption. So I encourage folks to take take a look at that. And we have another comment here also highlighting indigenous dance, First Nations and Native American peoples. Um, and there's really a theme that's that's coming together. Others have um, highlighted as well the, this theme in, in the Christian tradition, particularly um, those sort of on, like Ilya Delio and others like Merton, who are on, at times on the sort of growing edge of the tradition, like, um, like uh, Richard Rohr, who are some of the others that were mentioned here in a comment. Um, Richard Rohr, Terre de Chardin, who you mentioned earlier, um, Ilya Delio, Matthew, Matthew Fox, Elizabeth oh, yeah. Johnson, Bernard Lonergan, um, <laughs> just a, a great list of, of folks there. Well, shook um, the primordial tree on this one, didn't we? <laughs> you did. You know, we have time maybe for one more question. And, and this is, you know, you highlighted, you, you did at the beginning say um, you offered a bit of a systematic theology, which is impressive from the Quaker tradition in particular. And I'm, I'm struck by the quote you shared from Ilya Delio about how well did I love this day? It's a great examine. And, and you really ended that for us to think individually and as a community. And I'm reminded of the Jesuit moral theologian, James Keenan, who once described sin as the failure to bother to love. Hmm. And I'm wondering if maybe not to end on a kind of Catholic negative sin-centered note, but on this notion of love, one of the themes that hasn't been touched on is sin, right? Sin or evil or suffering in the world. What wisdom do you think from your study of Merton and Delio might offer us in, in, in this regard? Is there anything that comes to mind with regard to sin or suffering? Yeah, I actually, actually, actually had a couple passages in, in, in here, but I'm not bothered by Catholic guilt, so I took sin out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I, to keep with the theme of tonight, I, I think I, I would summarize what I think maybe Delia would say, and Merton might grudgingly get there, maybe sin is being stuck in the expected and the stability. Mm -hmm. It's a being stuckness that maybe comes from bad choosing or no choosing, mm -hmm. which makes us responsible. So that I think that's where I would go as as I tried to develop it tonight and say, sin is 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 an unwillingness to go with the spirit. It's it's a it's a complacency and okayness being stuck mm. under the guise of maybe stability or order. You got to be careful of order. You do. Merton has a lot to say about that too, as you've shared with us. Um, Alan, thank you so much. I'm going to turn it back over now to our, our chair and, uh, and MC, Sister Teresa. Thank you again. Alan, uh, your talk, I think, generated more chat among our participants than we've had um, in these all these three years we've been doing this. Uh, it, it just shows how rich and um, creative what you had to say was. In fact, it brought to mind another talk uh, from the very beginning when we had Christine Bochin, and she spoke about creative for created for joy 
becoming ourselves together. And uh, I can't imagine dance without joy. So I think there is probably another connection there we can sometime explore. But thank you so much for your um, contributions and Dan for your moderating of this particular um, webinar. Uh, and I also want to uh, thank Dan and the Center for Spirituality at St. Mary's College for providing the Zoom platform and technical support for Tuesdays with Merton. I want to thank Bob Grip, who posts the webinars on YouTube, and you'll be seeing this one soon, and Mark Mead, who makes them available as podcasts. In fact, if you've missed any of the previous Tuesdays with Merton, you can go to, the, uh, to YouTube and find them there. I want to thank all of you for joining us today and for continuing to spread the good word about Tuesdays with Merton. You can find links to the recordings of previous webinars at merton.org slash ITMS. There you will also find information about the International Thomas Merton Society. If you are not already a member, we invite you to consider joining. And we also welcome your donations to support Tuesdays with Merton. Registration is now open for next month's webinar when David Golombuski will speak on People That God Has Brought Together, Thomas Merton on the Hope of Political Community Beyond Nationalism, a very timely topic for our time. To register, go to merton.org slash ITMS. So for now, goodbye. We wish you and your loved ones a happy Thanksgiving, and we look forward to seeing you in December. <laughs>